0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you today for the hope that we have in the Lion of Judah who became the Lamb of God. Lord, it's because of his sacrifice that we have hope. In this world, Lord, Lord, We have no hope, but in Christ, there's everlasting hope. Oh, Father, today, let us realize the hope that we have in Jesus. And Father, I know that there's those here today who, they feel the hopelessness of this world. And Lord, perhaps they came here today seeking hope. Lord, I pray that they may find it today in Christ Jesus our Lord. Bless us now, Lord. Open our ears and our hearts to hear your word. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Mark. Mark chapter 15, uh, we'll be looking at 1542 through chapter 16:8 this morning, as we look at our resurrection hope and the hope that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have been going through the gospel of Mark as we've looked at uh, the last, well, last Sunday and, and through Friday and this morning, looking at the gospel account there in Mark. if you found your place there in Mark, stand with me, if you will, in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he had learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud And taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Amen. May the Lord have blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Well, as we consider the the gospel of Mark, Mark writes, he was one of the, it's believed he was the first gospel writer to write. Uh, His gospel is shorter than the other three gospels, but uh, Mark writes portraying Jesus as the Lion of Judah. You see this characterized by his use of this word, And, and if you read the gospel of Mark, you'll see it repeated over and over and over again. Immediately, immediately. He always talks about how immediately Jesus went over here. And then immediately he went over there. And immediately he went and done this. And immediately he did that. Uh, And you get this picture of the Lion of Judah who is quickly moving from point to point to do the Father's will. And so we see this Lion of Judah who is thought will reign on David's throne for all of eternity. But then, if you were here Friday night, uh, if you were not, uh, uh, well, here's what you missed. On Friday, when Jesus went to the cross, when he was beaten and nailed to that old cross, and as he breathed his last breath, the disciples were left completely without hope. I mean, this is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the one here who, who was sent to, to free God's people. To set up the throne of David for all of eternity. And there on the cross, he died. This man that they had put so much of their time into. This man whom they had left everything they owned behind to follow him. This man who held all of their hope. Suffered and bled and died. And with Jesus' death... the disciples' hope died. So they suffered Friday night and all day Saturday wondering what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? Our hope is gone. But let me tell you, friend, and here's what they found out. When all hope seems to be lost, look to the resurrection and find hope in Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. When all hope seems to be lost, look to the resurrection and find hope in Jesus Christ. You see, their hopelessness didn't last long. Because on Resurrection Sunday, their hope alive again to live and to reign for all of eternity now today i want us to to consider the resurrection of jesus the death burial and resurrection and as we do that i want to first look at a few facts about the resurrection about the death burial and resurrection that we need to to note the first fact that we need to notice here is that Jesus died. Jesus died. Look up in verse 53 if you still have your Bibles out. Or excuse me, did I say 37? Excuse me, 37. Look up to 37. Chapter 15, verse 30 says, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Jesus died now there are a lot of people that would say well no jesus really didn't die i mean that that's how they got to explain the resurrection right they got to explain how jesus came back to life again and so their explanation is since since you know our common way of life tells us that people don't rise from the dead they said well jesus didn't really die he was only swooning he had kind of you know from the agony of the cross he went into this deep trance and he was just kind of swooning. He then was laid in the grave. And due to the, the coolness of the grave, the, the moist atmosphere of the grave, he revived from his swooning. And he walked out of the grave. And that's how they explain Jesus coming back to life. No. Jesus died. That's a fact. Absolute fact. Jesus died. He, he wasn't swooning. How do we know he wasn't swooning? How do we know that Jesus certainly died there on the cross? Well, uh, A number one is because the Romans were excellent executioners. They were excellent executioners. They they had this down to a science. They, They would not fail at executing anyone. In fact, if the Roman soldiers who were charged with executing someone had failed at executing someone guess what their penalty would be execution Uh, they would be sentenced to death and so the, the roman soldiers who were sent there to to be in charge of this execution they were going to make sure that jesus was dead now the whole process of crucifixion generally began with the scourging where they would take a whip that was bound and it had stones and glass in the, the braidings of the whip, and they would begin to beat the person with those whips. And history tells us that many people never made it to the cross because they were killed during the beatings. Jesus was beaten with such a whip. So by the time he goes to the cross, he's already in a, a state of weakness. And so other gospel tells us that, that they had to get another man along the road as Jesus was trying to carry his cross to, uh, to Calvary. They had to get Simon, a, another guy there, just a passerby, to come by and, and take up his cross and carry it the rest of the way because Jesus was so weak that he could not carry it. Typically, for a Roman execution, a crucifixion, typically the Roman soldiers would leave the people hanging there to make sure that they were dead. They would leave them hanging there for days on end until, in fact, until the the corpse itself began to rot. And the birds of the air, the scavengers, would come down and begin to eat the flesh off of the bodies. It would leave them there as an example of what happened to those who were persecuted for crimes worthy of such death. Now, the Jewish tradition, however, uh, spoke into this. Uh, the Jews, they revered the body, e- even of a criminal. And, and so they would not allow bodies to be hung for overnight. And sometimes, because, you know, the Romans, uh, they wanted to kind of keep things peaceful there in, in Jerusalem. And so they conceded many times to allow them to, to take the bodies down before evening. But they were going to make sure that the people were indeed dead. That's why we see in other gospel accounts, they tell us that the soldiers went and they broke the legs of the two criminals who were with Jesus, you see that was a way to quicken death. See what happens in the crucifixion is that the the men are hung there, nails driven into their wrists like this, and then nails driven into their ankles, so that they 're spread out like this and what happens, the people they typically what they end up dying of. suffocation while they're hanging there you see the the weight of the body pulling on their their arms and and pulling it all together that they begin to to get to a point where they can't breathe in they can't get a full breath their lungs begin to fill with fluid and you see they have to, to pull up on their body suffering the agony of the the nails ripping against their wrist and ripping against their ankles. They, They push their bodies up to get a breath, and then they let themselves back down. What ultimately happens is they get so tired that their arms can't lift them up, and their legs can't lift them up to get that final breath, and they suffocate and die. And so as it is coming evening late in the afternoon the evening is coming and this is a special evening because it's right in the middle middle of Passover and it's coming into the Sabbath the Jewish leaders they petition Roman uh, Rome, soldiers, and, and Pilate, they petitioned them to, to not let the bodies be left overnight. And so the soldiers, they know what to do. They go to one thief and they take a, a, a large club and they shatter his lower legs. They walk over to the other thief and take that same club and they shatter his legs lower legs, they're too tired to pull up on their arms and now they can't push up with their feet, and so they hang there and they suffocate and they die. But when they get to Jesus, they look up at Jesus and he had already breathed his last. He was already dead. These soldiers who had seen men die time after time after time look and saw the lifelessness of Jesus, and they said, he's already dead. But just to make sure, because they were not going to fail at their job, they took a nice long spear, and they jabbed it into Jesus' side. Piercing his lungs right into his heart. The scripture tells us that when they pulled the spear out, that water poured out. Jesus was dead. Regardless of what critics might say, Jesus died on Calvary's cross second fact that we need to notice here is that Jesus was indeed buried. He was buried. Here in our, our passage, it tells us that Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, that is, he was a, 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 he was a high-ranking official in, in Jerusalem. In fact, he was a member of the Sanhedrin council, the council that had originally condemned Jesus. You can see that it wasn't a unanimous vote. Joseph didn't concede to that. Joseph was searching for the kingdom. He was a disciple of Christ, maybe, though he hid the fact. He was a respected man in Israel. And so uh, Joseph, he, he goes to Pilate and he asks Pilate for the body of Jesus. He, he, doesn't want to, he, he doesn't want to see Jesus done like everyone else because a criminal who was, who was so vile to, to rank a death of crucifixion, typically they weren't buried. They were just cast to the side, thrown in the, the garbage heap. Only if you had wealthy relatives... People who, who truly loved you and they would come and get you and take your body and bury it were these criminals buried. Jesus had such followers. Joseph comes and he requests the body from Pilate. Now you notice there that Pilate was kind of surprised. He's dead already? And so Pilate again wants to make sure the job is done. And so he summons the centurion, the, one, the man in charge of the execution, he summons him up, says, Is it true? Is he dead? He makes sure it's done, and then he gives Joseph the body of Jesus. It says that Jesus, or, or excuse me, Joseph, after Pilate had had sure enough set, told him he could have the body, he granted him the corpse. Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut uh, cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So, you have here Joseph who comes. He is this member of the Sanhedrin, a respected man in Jerusalem. He comes, he petitions Pilate. Pilate gives him the body, says, Yes, you can have it. Go take it. And Joseph carefully wraps Jesus in the linen shroud and lays him in the tomb and rolls that big, heavy stone. Over the tomb. You have to understand that stone and, and I, that picture that you see there on the screen, I'm not even sure that's a, a, a great re, a representation of it. Uh, it. It looks a little thin there to me in that picture. But these stones were massive. Uh, it, not one person, one person is not going to come up here and just roll away this stone. It took several healthy men. To roll that stone I mean they put that stone there so that grave robbers wouldn't come in break in and, and steal from the tomb so it was a, a massive stone that was rolled in front of the tomb and you have here the witnesses Mary Magdalene and the other Mary who are there they're watching this they're witnessing it they see Jesus buried so Jesus was indeed buried but here's fact number three that we need to note. Jesus indeed arose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. And yes, I can say it is fact. Can you, you say, well, can you prove it? Absolutely. Well, no, I cannot. But there's enough evidence to weigh in that certainly Jesus rose from the grave. We can say that it is fact. You see, there are many things. The only things that we can prove for certain is things that we can actually see and feel and touch and observe. We can't go back in history and, and see and touch and observe the resurrected Jesus. But we can build a case We can accumulate evidence and come to the conclusion that with a reasonable amount of certainty, Jesus did indeed arise from the dead. Some of the facts that we can gather and come to that conclusion is the witnesses, are the witnesses that we have testifying to the fact that Jesus arose from the dead. want to focus in on those today there's there's much more that could be said but i just want to focus in on the witnesses today first of all you have the the angelic witness the angel who is there mark tells us and entering in as the the women they come to take care of the body of jesus they come into the tomb and there they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe and they were alarmed and he said to them do not be alarmed You see, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Now, other Gospels tells us that this was, indeed, an angel. Uh, Mark tells a young man, I'm going to show you why in a minute, but this is an angel. Other Gospels, indeed, uh, record that there were two angels there. Again, Mark's He's got another goal in mind, so he's not worried about the other angel. But there's two angels there, and what does Scripture tell us that you 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 can tell something is true on the evidence of two witnesses? And so we have in the tomb two witnesses, two angelic witnesses who come and they say Jesus has been raised from the dead. Second, you have the witnesses of the witness of the women. The witness of the women, the women who go to the tomb. Now, this is really a special witness. And it really reveals to us the truthfulness of the gospel testimonies. Because in this day and time, when when Jesus walked the earth, uh, women were not respected as reliable witnesses. They just weren't. Sorry, women. That was then, all right. But they weren't respected as as reliable witnesses. And therefore, women could not testify in any court trial. And so when you you have these gospel witnesses recording that the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus is women, that's unheard of. If If it were true what many critics of the resurrection say, that this is a made-up tale that his disciples just came up with this after the fact so that they could continue on with their religious practices if it were just a made-up tale certainly the disciples wouldn't have used women as their first and primary witnesses of the resurrection the only explanation for the record being that the women were the first to witness the resurrected Jesus, is that it actually happened. It actually happened. But we don't have to just rest with just the women because Scripture also tells us, in fact, Paul tells us in um, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul tells us, now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received, in which you stand, and which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. You see, Paul tells us there in 1 Corinthians, as he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, he says, and Jesus, after his, res- his resurrection, he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. And he adds in this little detail, most of whom are still alive today. In other words, what Paul is saying, if you don't believe me, go ask some of the witnesses. Because they're still walking around back in Jerusalem. Back, uh, they're walking around. They're, they're going out through all of, of, Roman, of the Roman territory. They're testifying to this. You can find witnesses who were there and actually saw Jesus. More than 500 people at one time saw the resurrected Lord. that with just the witnesses, we can come to a reasonable certainty that Jesus indeed arose from the dead. Now we have to ask this question, why? Why all of this? Why? Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did he suffer? Why did he die? And why was he resurrected from The grave, you see, the disciples, they didn't understand that. When Jesus died on Calvary's cross, they didn't understand. They lost hope because they didn't understand. But they came to understand when Jesus was raised again. He explained it a little more clearly. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why was he raised from the dead? Because Jesus satisfies God justices demand jesus satisfies justices demands see we have a a little paradox in scripture a paradox is a statement that that seems to be contrary two two statements that seem to be contrary to one another so that they, they can't both be true There's this this paradox, and it goes back to Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7, and it's also repeated in in the book of Deuteronomy, or excuse me, Numbers. But in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 through 7, the Lord, Yahweh, he passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for a thousand, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But here's the paradox. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the Father on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You see the paradox God says, I am a God who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, but at the same time, I by no means will clear the guilty. You see, we have that paradox. How can God be a God who forgives, yet he is a God who will by no means acquit? It seems contradictory. But we find how the the paradox is solved In Jesus Christ, you see, because in Jesus Christ, we find the forgiveness of God, and we find the justice of God satisfied. We see this in the book of Mark from uh, a few different images here. First of all, I want you to, again, if you have your Bibles open, if not, that's fine, I'm going to read it. If you have your Bibles open, flip over to to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14 and verse 51. This is when the guards come to get Jesus. This is very interesting. I I actually just found this and and, uh, noticed this as I was studying for this message. It's just awesome. You see, Mark is is writing for a purpose. He he wants to, to tell us something. And sometimes these, these ancient writers, they would use certain literary devices to reveal these great theological truths. In chapter 14, verse 51, we see this account of a young man who was there following Jesus, and what happens? And a young man following, followed him, followed Jesus, with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth cloth and ran away naked why did mark put that there that's always bugged me why is that there yes it could be that mark is kind of including himself into the gospel and this is where his little part takes place but there's a deeper meaning here notice that this young man had nothing but a linen cloth on He had nothing but a linen cloth on. But then he left the linen cloth to get away from Jesus. And then notice how Jesus was buried. And Joseph, uh, chapter 15, verse 46, And Joseph bought a linen shroud, a linen cloth, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth and laid him in the tomb. See, Mark's telling us something. Here's the final of the disciples who's following after Jesus, even after he is arrested. And he's wearing a linen cloth. And as the soldiers reach out to grab him, they grab the linen cloth, and he rips away, leaving the linen cloth, running away, naked and ashamed. You see, the disciples who had left all their, their life, all of their livelihood to follow Jesus, now when Jesus is arrested, they leave everything to get away from Jesus. But then Jesus takes the linen cloth. He takes their guilt and their shame. And he's clothed with it. And he is laid in the tomb. You see, dear friend, one truth that Mark is communicating to us subtly here is that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. This is that glorious transfer that takes place. Jesus takes upon Himself our filthy rags. He takes upon Himself our sin and our shame and our guilt. And He goes to Calvary's cross. And He bears the penalty of our sin and our shame and our guilt. We deserve to be there. He doesn't deserve it. We deserve it but he takes it and he receives upon himself the full wrath of God for our sin. Jesus died for our sins. Then notice what else happens. Notice the young man down in chapter 16, verse 5. As the ladies, they entered the tomb, they saw a young man. He uses that same word again, that young man. He doesn't identify it as an angel because he, he wants to communicate a message. This young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. Guess where else we see that white robe? That word for white there in Mark's gospel. It's way back in Mark chapter 9. Or excuse me, no, not Mark chapter Yeah, Mark chapter 9. Verse 2 and 3. And after six days Jesus took with him... Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them you see that it's the same word it's the same exact word that that word for for white Lukos is the word. And and it means bright, shining, glimmering. That's that's what he's saying. His clothes were shimmering bright like nothing else. And so what do we see? We see the young man leaving his filthy rags and Jesus putting on the man's filthy rags, the young man's filthy rags. And then at the end we see the young man a young man dressed in the white clothes of Jesus not only did Jesus die on the cross for our sins but in the resurrection Christ was raised for our justification he was raised to, to show us right before God. You see, we have to be right. We have to be pure if we are to stand before God. And Jesus clothes us in His purity. He clothes us in His righteousness so that we might be forgiven. God cannot forgive iniquity. He cannot acquit The guilt. But he can forgive us because his son Jesus Christ, who was guiltless, freely offered himself up on Calvary's cross. Taking our sin and our shame. Dying in our place and being raised again, wrapping us in His righteousness. The disciples went to sleep Friday night, hopeless. They woke up Sunday morning with the hope of everlasting life in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus had paid the penalty and provided forgiveness. Dear friend, perhaps you're here today and you've been looking for hope in so many things, only to find more hopelessness. Today, find hope in Christ find hope in christ when all hope seems to be lost look to the resurrection and find hope in jesus christ the god who raised jesus from the dead and certainly raise you up out of hopelessness and give you eternal hope in jesus if you only turn to jesus and believe Will you look to him today? Oh, Heavenly Father. Oh, Lord, how we thank you. Because of your justice, Lord, we would be without hope. Because of our sin, our rebellion against you, We deserve death, eternal death. But because of your love and your grace, we can find hope in Christ. We can be forgiven. We can be transformed. Our lives renewed because of what Christ did for us. Oh, Lord, let us see the hope that we have in Jesus today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.